We're doing something different this year. Um, we're going through the entire story of the Bible in a year, and we call this the whole story. We've divided the whole story of the Bible up into 14 different series, and we've already completed the first two. We're going through it the entire year long. Now, if you're like, oh man, am I late? Well, no. Um, actually, we're still pretty early in the story, and every single message and every single little series is designed to stand on its own. So you're, you're totally fine. Now, we're in the third series right now, which is something called The Great I Am. And it's so cool because we actually sang a little bit of that in one of the songs this morning, that phrase, the great I am. And if you're like, what is that? You'll, you'll know it in just a second. This is the part of the story of, of scripture where typically we focus on Moses. And even if you haven't grown up in church, you probably know to some degree the story of Moses, right? He's, he's, he parts the Red Sea and he, you know, it's Pharaoh, let my people go. They're, they're like cartoon movies of Moses. So it's, it's pretty universal in terms of people knowing about Moses. And it's Moses and he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land eventually. And that's what we tend to focus on at, at this section of scripture. But honestly, Moses is a big part of it, but God is definitely the primary actor in this section of the story. It's not just like Moses doing things, it is God doing things and sometimes using Moses to either you know, help the people see what's being done or maybe explain what's being done and why. God is the main character in this story. And actually, this is the story where God sort of steps into the forefront and we see him differently. It's almost like he goes from being a little fuzzy to really in focus. We get to learn a lot about the God that we believe in through this part of scripture, through these stories. And we're focusing on three specific aspects of God, two of which we've already covered. One, God is holy. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We learned from the story of Moses that God is holy, that he is just different, he is other, he is greater. Kind of like what Matt just prayed, like there's no way we could really ever fully grasp who he is or how he is. His ways are above us, but, but He's not holy in this way where he looks down on us and says, hey, you don't deserve to be near me because I'm holy and you're not. He actually makes us holy through Jesus, which is amazing. And if you're interested in learning more about that, you can listen to what we talked about a few weeks ago. The week before Easter, we talked about the fact that God is powerful. He shows time and time again just how powerful he is in these stories. And that's important for us to remember on a daily basis because very often we are facing things that feel far more powerful than we are and maybe that's true. One of my favorite quotes, I heard it when I was in high school, and it's cheesy as all get up, but it stays with me, is that we're like toothpicks, all of us. We're very fragile, but through Jesus and our faith in him, we're like toothpicks who have been duct taped to a lead pipe. And that makes us just as strong as the lead pipe. And that there's a power that God has that we get to sort of be part of, and it's very interesting. Today, we're gonna look at one more aspect of God through this, this story, and it's the fact that God is personal. He is personal personal. He's not just holy and powerful. He is extremely personal. And, and look, if you've ever struggled with feeling distant from God, you feel like God is, is far away from you. Maybe you even have faith and have believed for a long time, but for some reason, it just doesn't feel like God is near, like God is close. Maybe you think that's because you don't deserve to be close to God. Or maybe you've tried and you're like, I'm going to church and I'm reading the Bible even. I just don't, I don't feel close to him. Well, know on the front end that feelings and reality are often very different. But understand that God does not in any way, shape, or form desire to have a distant relationship with any of us as he shows us through the story of Moses and then time and time again in scripture, he wants to be close and he wants us to know that he's close. 
And so if you ever do feel that distance, well, today is for you. And so every single time that we've explored this great I am concept, we've gone back to the same story. It's the moment that Moses first meets God. It's in Exodus chapter three. We're gonna look at verses one through 15. We've covered this every week because this is, this is the big moment. This is the jumping off point. It says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is the sign, your sign, that I am the one who has sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested again, if I go to the people of, of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, well, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh is a Hebrew word, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So this is the moment with Moses where God gets really personal. And he gets personal in, in a couple of ways. Number one, we see right away, verse, verse four, he comes and he says, Moses, calls him by name. He says, Moses. God knows Moses' name. We see this countless times in scripture. First Samuel chapter three, verse four. Suddenly the Lord called out Samuel. Samuel's a young boy. If you don't know the story of Samuel, he's just a young kid. And one night, God just speaks to him and God begins speaking to him by calling his name. In Genesis, there's the story of this woman named Hagar. And she's the servant of, of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And, and Sarah mistreats her very badly. She runs away. And while she's in the wilderness, God shows up. In Genesis 16, it says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? God lets her know right away, I know you. I know who you are. I know you by name because I'm a personal God. Jesus exemplifies this many times. One of the most obvious might be in Luke chapter 19. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector in the region and he'd become very rich. Tax collectors, if you don't know, became rich by extorting people for money. So he's rich at other people's expense. He would have been the most hated person, viewed as the most immoral and disgusting person in the entire community. 
He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. He doesn't just say, hey, dude in the tree, right? He doesn't say, hey, little, little man, right? He says, hey, Zacchaeus, he knows his name. And Jesus has no reason to know his name. And it's clear if you keep reading the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't just know his name, Jesus knows him. He knows everything about him. He knows his past, he knows his struggles, he knows his issues. He knows all that goes along with being Zacchaeus. And he still responds, I wanna have dinner in your home. I wanna be your honored guest. It's very reminiscent of this conversation Jesus has with a woman at a well in John chapter four. She's got all kinds of baggage, all kinds of issues. She's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I talk about her pretty often. She's the first person Jesus ever explicitly says, I'm the Messiah to. She's the first one. And, and in her conversation with Jesus, it's revealed that Jesus knows her and he knows everything about her and he knows all about her baggage. And she's got a, a lot of bags. And she actually walks away from that conversation. John 4, 29, she tells everyone she can find, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? He told me everything I ever did. God is personal. He knows us. Like he knows you. And I mean, he knows you. And he loves you. Now, this is something that I actually probably talk about more often than, than just about any specific idea because it blows me away. And it's one of those ideas that the first time I realized it, it just blew me away in terms of how God is with me, with all of us. And it's something I like to think on often. I think it's worth thinking about every single day is that God loves us even though he knows everything about us. And that is not something we see that often in the world. Most of the time in the world, we love out of ignorance. We love people more sometimes the less we know about them. Like we, just, we need to know just enough to decide that we love them and then we don't wanna find out anything else because it'll ruin it, right? I'm about to say something uh, that's very 90s and so do we have any 90s kids in the room? Any of you that grew up in the 90s? All right, 90s kids, maybe about 80s, like 80s and 90s, all right, you'll understand this. Those of you who are older, I'm about to age myself big time here. All right, so when I was in the eighth grade, I got invited to my friend Travis's house and when I got there, we went to Blockbuster Video and we rented uh, the video game NBA Jam to play on his Sega Genesis, right? It's very 90s, very 90s. And then the next day we went rollerblading, super 90s, okay? And while rollerblading at this park, we bumped into these two girls who we thought were cute because we were eighth grade boys and we were like, this was a new thing. And so I've always been, this is gonna shock you, talkative, mouthy. Uh, got me in a lot of trouble for most of my life. I always tell kids who get in trouble for talking, hey, it's okay, one day they may hand you a microphone and say, can you talk? And you'll be like, yes, yes, I can. So I was, I was not afraid to, to talk. And so my friend Travis is like, these, these two other girls rollerblading. And uh, he's like, hey, let's you know, talk to him. And I'm like, all right. So I go up and I talk to this girl. I, I think she's cute. We strike up a conversation. She gives me her phone number. Now, I know our students are in the room today. What's up, students? By phone number, I don't mean her cell phone. Those didn't exist. I mean, she gave me the phone that was connected to the wall in her family's house. And so I call her house. Her dad picks up the phone and I'm like, oh, hello, sir. Is your daughter home by chance? And may I speak to her? I'm like, super polite. And we start talking on the phone. 
okay? Now, it turns out this was amazing, such a cool opportunity for me because she was, she was homeschooled and I was, I was a public school kid. So she didn't know the people that I knew. She exists in a whole different world and environment. And so not only do I get to talk to this girl, I get the opportunity to kind of embellish some things because she doesn't have any ability to like fact check what I'm saying. Like, and another way to say that is I just lied to her a lot because I wanted to impress her. I was an eighth grade boy. And so I'm like, you know, I'm talking to her and I'm telling her the stuff that I do, but there's just a little exaggeration, right? There's just a, a, little, bit, a little bit extra. I think at one point I even told her like, I got in a fight at school and, and beat a kid up, which did not happen. I only got in one fight at, in, in my school days and I lost. So it's like, that didn't happen. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm lying to her. I'm telling her these things. And at the very least, I am creating this very curated, custom uh, picked version of myself to present to her and it worked. She liked that version of me that I sold on the telephone. And then I had this, this panic moment. We were talking and actually I think we considered ourselves boyfriend and girlfriend, whatever that meant. And she told me that summer, great news. I'm gonna go to your school next year. And I was like, yay, right? And I knew it was over. I was like, well, this is it, that's, that's done. Because there's no way I'm not gonna live up to the version of me that I have, I have sold to you, okay? Now look, it's silly and it was wrong. Like, don't do that, okay? But it's, it's amazing that even the eighth grade version of me somehow understood that my, my best chance at getting someone to love me or really like me was to present a version of me that is not the real me. Because there's some type of knowledge in there that if they knew me exactly as I am, the real me would not impress. The real me would not be worthy of a relationship or love or whatever it is I was looking for. And we all know that. I mean, if social media has proven anything to us, it is that no matter how old you are, how mature you are, what stage of life you are in, the temptation to present a very curated version of yourself to the world is strong because something inside of us doesn't believe that if the world, if other people saw us exactly as we are, we would be loved. And that might be true, except when it comes to God. Because he knows you everything about you. He knew Zacchaeus and all of Zacchaeus' stuff. And, and the story, I learned the story of Zacchaeus as a kid and like in church and it was just, oh, he's a short little dude. No, he's like a short little criminal mastermind who has, who has stolen money from very poor people. There are people that are homeless because of Zacchaeus. There are families that are starving to death because of Zacchaeus. And Jesus knows it and he loves him and it changes Zacchaeus' life. This woman at the well, I mean, her, her story, it's messy. It's messy and it's shameful to the point where she is ostracized. She's at the well alone at a time of day. No one else goes to the well because if she went any other time of day, everyone would, would run away from her and shun her. And Jesus loves her. So we have to remember that, that our God is so personal and so loving that we never have to hide anything from him. I mean, you can't anyway, you can try. But we don't even have to because he sees us exactly as we are. He knows everything about us and he loves you. He doesn't love the, the version of you that you've worked really hard to present to the world around you. He loves you. And even if every other person in the world could see who you actually are and all of it, and maybe they would say I'm in or maybe they say ah, I'm out, 
You can know for a fact that God would never do that. He loves you personally. His love isn't just general. It's not just like he loves you in the general sense that you're a person and he loves people. He loves you specifically. He knows you by name. That's how personal he is. It's amazing. But it doesn't just stop there with Moses. It's not just that God knows Moses. God wants Moses to know him. In fact, this moment in Moses' life is the first time God ever tells anyone his name. So far in scripture, he's just God, like the title. This is the first time that God actually tells someone his, his name. Let's, let's look at it. We'll go back to Exodus chapter three, verses 13 and 15. Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they'll ask me, well, what's his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name and my name to remember for all generations. Now this can be a little bit confusing for us at this point in history because when's the last time any of us called God Yahweh? Like anyone in the last week say out loud Yahweh. By the way, it's okay if you have, you didn't do anything wrong. Okay, one, well done. So it's, it's weird, we, we read the Bible and we don't even see the, the name Yahweh, but it's there all the time. And so let me, let me show you something. Uh, Psalm chapter 100, verses one through three, and I'm gonna actually look at the screen as I do this. So it says, it says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him singing with joy, acknowledge that the Lord is God. Now notice that, the word Lord is capitalized in each of those statements. Now there will be other scriptures, sometimes even in the same verses where you'll have a Lord in all caps and you'll have a Lord that just has like one capital letter. And that's because every time in your Bible, and if you read it, notice this from now on, every single time you see the word Lord in all caps, that's, that's Yahweh. That's Yahweh every time. And it's used thousands of times in the Old Testament alone. But it's never translated Yahweh, in our Bibles, it's translated Lord. And there's some interesting history behind that. Stuff that I, I kind of like to, to geek out on. Now, like, how many of you have ever heard Jehovah? Okay. How many of you have ever said Jehovah or sung Jehovah? Okay. So interestingly enough, the Jewish people would have never, ever uttered that word. God had, was never called Jehovah once by the Jewish people. But over time, Jehovah became this thing that that people began to call God, and it's sort of connected to, to Yahweh, but in, an, in a kind of indirect way. How about, how about this word, and this is a little bit more obscure, how about Adonai? Has anyone ever heard Adonai? Okay, Adonai is a, it is a Hebrew word that means Lord, master. It's a little more formal. And so what, what happened, I'm actually gonna show a video in a second that explains all this in a really cool way, because I think it's cool to know this stuff. Like the more we know about God, the better it is for us to relate to God. It's really cool. Um, over time, and we're gonna explore why in just a second, this name, this personal name that God gave his people stopped being used and instead this whole Adonai and Jehovah business was born. Even though it's, it's not what God perhaps ever intended. So rather than me just try to explain it in a way that would be boring, um, there's a really amazing I think it's amazing, a group online, they have a, a great podcast, they have an amazing YouTube channel, it's called The Bible Project. And they literally make these incredible animated videos explaining all kinds of concepts in scripture, 
very, very interesting, very engaging. And I wanna show you a really short three minute video that they created that explains this whole Yahweh, Jehovah, Adonai business. Really interesting. So let's watch this together and we're gonna come back and talk about it because the implications are pretty cool. Let's go ahead and watch. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the second key word here, Lord, written in all capital letters. This is the personal name of Israel's God. We first learn the meaning of this name in the story of Moses and the burning bush in the book of Exodus chapter three. God appears to Moses and he commissions him to liberate the Israelites from slavery. And so Moses wonders, what if people ask the name of the God who has sent me? And so God responds, tell them Ehyeh has sent me to you. Now, that Hebrew word Echyeh means I will be. In other words, God's name means that he is the one who is and who will be. God's existence doesn't depend on anyone or anything else. This God simply is. But it will sound kind of strange for Moses to go say to the Israelites, I will be has sent me to you. Only God can say, I will be. So in the next sentence, God tells Moses the version he should say aloud, Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, he has sent me to you. Now that word Yahweh is the ancient Hebrew form of the verb, he will be. And this is the personal name of the God of Israel. It appears over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. Now, here's what's interesting. Over the centuries, Israelites wanted to honor the sacred nature of this divine name. So as they read the Hebrew Bible aloud and they came to this name, they stopped saying Yahweh and instead started saying the Hebrew word for Lord, which is Adonai. Now this practice has been continued throughout the centuries. And so later, when people started translating the Bible into English, they adopted the same practice. Instead of spelling out the divine name, they translated it as Lord spelled in all capital letters. Okay, you got that? Good, because there's more. Ancient Jewish scribes wanted to prevent anyone from even accidentally saying this name aloud when you read the Hebrew Bible. And so they came up with a visual device to remind you to make sure you say Adonai. They took the four consonant letters of the divine name. These letters correspond to our English letters, Y-H-W-H. Then they inserted the three vowels from the word Adonai and combined these together to create an artificial hybrid word, which if you pronounced it, it would say Yahuwah, but no Israelite ever said Yahuwah. It's simply a visual reminder to say the word Adonai. Now it gets more interesting. Much later, Christian scribes came along who didn't know that Yahuwah was an artificial word. And so they began to say it aloud and spell it in their writings. This is the word that eventually entered into English as Jehovah. It's a word many people still use today. But the main thing is the word Lord in all capital letters is an indication of the divine name. Don't confuse it with the word Lord in your English translations that's not in all capital letters. That is the actual Hebrew word Adon, which just means Lord or master. This word can refer to people like kings or the master of a servant, even a shepherd over his sheep. And sometimes biblical authors will use this word to refer to God, like in the phrases, the Lord of all the earth or the Lord of Lords. But behind all of these words, Yehovah, Lord, Adonai, stands the original divine name of the God of Israel. It refers to the one who was, who is, and who forever will be. Yeah, that's cool, right? So you're like, well, that's unnecessarily complicated. 
And, and it is. And, and here's the question, who, who made it complicated? People, we did. So, so as you saw in the video, over the centuries, after Moses' time, this idea sprang up that, well, we, we wanna make sure we honor God. And so, you know, let's just not call him by the name that he asked us to call him. Because, you know, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll say it flippantly. You can see that, you know, the, the Bible says that you should uh, make sure you keep the name of God holy, right? Jesus actually prayed, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And so they said, well, let's just not say the name. And instead they start saying Adonai, and then they make these, these visual cues that if people are reading it, make sure you don't accidentally read Yahweh, so we won't write Yahweh, because then you might say it. Instead, we'll come up with this sort of word picture that reminds you to say Adonai, but also remember that it is Yahweh, and it just becomes this complicated mess. And all of it, all of it, was based off this, this false idea that God would somehow be upset if we, if we used his name too much. When clearly God wanted us to, to call him by name. He wanted us to have a personal relationship with him. He tells, he tells Moses, like, this is my name. Tell this to the people. And for centuries, they would have said Yahweh, Yahweh. It wasn't for another several hundred years that this whole idea developed. It says, no, don't call him by name. Let's use this title instead. But God never said that. That was what people just assumed. And so what you can see in this is this amazing example of how we complicate things with God and we create distance with God that he never intends. The distance that that, that created this, this kind of religious distance that God is, is so far removed from us that we can't even say his name is something God never intended. We did that. We did that. He wants us to know his name. It matters to him that we have a personal relationship with him. In fact, Years ago, there was a, a gentleman that I was talking to. Uh, his name was Jack. And, and Jack was having a hard time with this sort of general idea of, of why does it matter if we address God as Jesus or if, if people who, who call God by a different name, maybe a different religion, like what does it matter? A lot of times people's objections to God is we're kind of wrestling through the idea of whether or not we believe in God, do we wanna put our faith in God, wherever you're at in that wrestling. A lot of times the objections people have to God fall into this category that's basically like, well, if I were God, I wouldn't do it this way. And then it's sort of like you putting your own moral values on God, saying God should be more like you. And so for him, it's like, well, I wouldn't care if, if I was God, I wouldn't care if people called me Jesus or Buddha or whatever. And so that was something, I haven't had a conversation like that in a while, but that was something that people would bring up several years ago. And so he's talking to me about that. He's like, what does it matter? Why do we have to call him Jesus? Why do we have to? And so I have said this little trick that I do if I ever get in these conversations. I said, well, I don't, you know, Jack, I don't know. Um, maybe, James, it's because we, uh, you know, he, he, I don't know, like he's just something he prefers. And so James, I always like to, and he stops me. He's like, my name's Jack. I was like, oh, I know your name's Jack because I called you that, then I switched it. It's weird how it bothers you that I called you by a name that isn't your name, right? Maybe we're created in the image of God and maybe that part of us that like deeply desires people to know who we are by name, maybe that actually comes from God who wants to have a close relationship with us and doesn't want us to settle for just knowing that he's a force that's out there in the world. He wants us to know him. He knows us. And he loves us personally, even though he knows everything about us, but he doesn't just want it to stop there. He wants us to know him. 
That's how personal he is. And it's us that creates the distance. We see this so much in scripture, the story of Adam and Eve. When they mess up, when they sin for the first time, does God hide from them or do they hide from God? They hide from God. They create the distance. What I've learned and, and what I have done in my life many times, like I'm, I'm someone who's fallen victim to this, this faulty thinking. When I feel distant from God, very often, if not all the time, it is a, a distant feeling that is either self-invented or self-inflicted. He's not distant. He, he's not, and there's so many really interesting things in scripture that, that teach us this. Like for example, if you're ever reading your Bible and it says that, that God spoke from, from heaven, or sometimes it says that God spoke like to the prophets and God spoke from the heavens. Well, we hear that because of all the things that we associate with heaven. It's like God up in heaven, like way far away. And he's like shouting down like, hey, like something like that. But actually the word heaven in the Hebrew language just means like air. And so you could actually translate many of those. God spoke from the thin air, like just right there. In fact, Elijah has this amazing story. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. If you don't know his story, God speaks to him in a gentle whisper. He's right there. See, the distance that we feel in our relationship with God, it is not from God. Some of us grew up in religious traditions that really emphasize the distance between us and God. Like before you step forward, you gotta do special hand gestures and you gotta do these things and only that guy with the real tall hat, like the taller the hat, the closer to God, that's the only person that can like, you know, do the thing. And look, there is, all jokes aside, there is value, tremendous value in recognizing the holiness and the otherness of God. And those types of traditions do a good job of reminding us that God is holy. But it's like we always wanna pick one or the other. We wanna pick the holiness of God, but then we gotta feel really distant from him because he's so holy. Or we wanna pick the personal aspect of God, but then we wanna like, you know, not think about the holiness of God. And so you know, people call him like, hey, what's up, bruh, to God? And that's probably not okay. Like he's not, I mean, I guess it's fine, but he's God. You know, it's like you don't have to, to pick one or the other. He can be both holy and amazing and other, or also he can be personal and close at the same time. But the distance that we feel from God, it is self-invented, it is self-inflicted. And some of us, even if you have run from God, even if you've tried to create distance, that happens sometimes, right? We rebel, we have guilt, shame, we have all kinds of stuff going on and it just feels weird being in God's presence when you have stuff in your life that's not right. So some of us have actively tried to run away from God. Anyone have the courage to say that at some point in my life, I ran, I turned around and went the other direction, okay. See, the, the lie that you said to yourself when you did that is that you could run away from God because here you are in church on a Sunday, didn't work, right? I always think about this when, I, when I'm in the mood to run from God because sometimes, you know, you are. When I was uh, younger and my, my oldest was just maybe two or three, I brought him here to the building and it was just the two of us here. I was working on something. And, you know, something about our giant hallways just tells children, run like something in their hearts. They see the big hallways and it's just like, go. <laughs> and so, especially if there's no one here, so he starts running from me and he thinks that he's far away from me. But what he doesn't understand is that my steps cover much more ground, right? 
So there's this moment where he thinks, he, like he looks behind and I'm way far away. And then like, I just kinda, I wasn't even booking it. I mean, I'm just sort of jogging, but his feet only go so far at the age. And then he turns around and I'm right there and it shocked him to the point where he like screamed and fell over. It was not good, okay? <laughs> but like the simple idea I had to teach him is like, and maybe this was good for him to know, like you cannot outrun me. Remember that. You can't outrun God. You can't do it. Because where are you gonna go that he isn't? It's not gonna happen. And you don't have to because he's personal. And he's, all he's done ever since the story of Moses has become more personal. He's only gotten more and more personal. Now you might say to yourself, well, man, I, why don't we call him Yahweh? And by the way, you're free to. I actually had that thought this week. Well, I've never really called him Yahweh, if that's his name. I call him Lord all the time. Am I just, am I just part of the problem? It's just the tradition I've grown up in. We don't, Yahweh, it's weird. And then, you know, it hit me. Jesus actually tells us this. In Matthew chapter six, verse nine, people said to him, how should we pray? And he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Romans chapter eight, verse 15 says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now you call him Abba, Father. Abba was uh, an Aramaic word that would mean like dad. It's informal. And so I thought, okay, I could call God by name. It is totally appropriate if I want for the rest of my life to say Yahweh every time I talk to God. That would not offend him. I don't, I don't think it would. I'm willing to bank on it. But I could also call my father Mike. I could do that. I could call my dad today and say, hey, Mike, how's it going? That's his name. But a lot of people call him Mike or Michael. I get to call him dad. I can say father, which is more personal. So Jesus actually gives us permission to call God the father, like that, that part of the, the Trinity, God the father, not even just by name, but by intimate, close, personal relationship, father, because he has adopted us as his very own sons and daughters when we give our lives to Jesus. That's personal. Look at Jesus. Jesus shows us just how personal it is. God is so personal, he became a person. Like, think about that. We, we tend to think of Jesus only in the context of, of the person on the earth for those, those 33 years. Jesus is what we, we call him. That's his name he was given on earth. But the son, like God the, the father and God the son, the son God, it, it, like he's, he existed way before Jesus was a person on the earth called Jesus. In fact, John chapter one begins this way. It says, in the beginning, the word, and when it says the word here, it's talking about, about Jesus. But Jesus before he was Jesus on the earth. The word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So God is so personal that he became a person, one of us, so that we could relate to him in a way we couldn't otherwise. And then you have the Holy Spirit, the actual spirit of God. If we go on in Romans chapter eight, I already read verse 15. Verse 16 says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. God's spirit joins with your spirit. How much more personal can that be? You can't get more personal than that. Spirit to spirit. God is personal, deeply personal. And all he's ever done is move closer and closer to us. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Worship team, you guys can make your way out. What do we do with, with the concept that God gets personal? And the only thing I can think of is that if God gets personal with me, I need to get personal with God. Just treat God like you believe that he wants to be close to you and that you can be close to him. Treat him that way. Now look, there have been moments in my life where I could not have felt closer to God. There have been seasons of life where it felt like God and me were just, whew, we are, we are in sync. We are like just, not the boy band from the 90s. I know I talked about the 90s earlier. Not that in sync. We're not like choreographed dancing together. But we, we might as well have been because we were like, we were that close. There have been seasons of life where I just felt like me and God were just, whew. And I wish that that was every single day, every single hour, every single year, it's not. And maybe for some of you it is, and that's amazing. That's like a special thing if that's the case. But if you think that that's how it is for everybody, if you're like, well, I must not be a, a good Christian because I don't always feel close to God, I can tell you that I don't always feel close to God. But I'm trying to learn that that doesn't matter because he's close to me regardless of how I feel. And in fact, it's in those moments when I don't feel close to God that I have to be more intentional and remember that he is personal. He is not distant. He is not far from me. He's not moving away from me. And it's in those moments that I have to be more intentional than ever about drawing near to him. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to, to draw close to God, to move toward him? You know, for, for me, there's certain, there's certain things, this is like silly in some ways, there's certain things that just really help me with God. Number one is talking. Do you talk to God? And like, how often do you talk to God? Because you can talk to him constantly, all the time. And I hope you do. And, and if you don't, maybe it's weird. I hope you do. It's not weird to talk to God. He talks to people all the time. And a lot of his speaking, he speaks through his word. Like he's written you a book, a big one. You can read it. And not only, it's not like he just speaks through his word, but his word helps us understand when it is him and when it's not. His word helps us discern whether it's God or not because the more you know his word, the more you can hear like, oh, that's God. Not be confused by that. So reading scripture, being in the word on a regular basis, that, that helps you talk with him and, and hear from him. But for a long time, my prayer life was really less about having a conversation with God and more about leaving God voicemails. Does that make sense? Like it wasn't so much me talking to God, it was me like, Hey God, this is what's on my mind. This is what I need. This is what's going wrong. Thanks. You know, like a 30 second voicemail. But 
you don't have to even do that. You, you can, but you don't have to stop there. Like you can have an open-ended conversation with God. And that involves you talking, but it also involves you listening. Like when's the last time you just sat and listened? Like prayed and then stopped talking and just listened. One of the most awkward things is silence, right? I think I shared the story a couple years ago. Uh, there's a guy who's been a mentor in my life for many years. And sometimes you have mentors. If you have real mentors, they make you do stuff you don't wanna do. And so this mentor of mine said, Justin, I'm asking you, you can say no, I'm not gonna make you, but he's like, you know, that was not true. Like he was making me, he knew it. He said, I want you to do this, this kind of unique experience. And he made me take a, a five day, go on a five day silent retreat. Five days, no talking. It was actually really fun because Matt came for two of those days. Three, I'm sorry, Matt, my fault. So Matt was there and, uh, and Madison came for three days as well. I stayed for five and like we saw each other all the time, but we just like just nodded, waved, you know, and it was like this little place and it had this wilderness and this is like so my, my sense of humor, but it had this like really cool trail that you could go on like a walk and just be quiet and think about God, talk to God, pray. And there was a river right next to it. And I had walked by Matt and Madison at different parts of the trail. And I just really badly, I didn't do this, but I really badly, it was like a log. I wanted to pick up the log because it's so quiet at this place and just go like, ah, and then throw the log in the water and just see if anyone would come and look like in case I fell in, but I didn't do that. That's the kind of things I think of on a silent retreat. I'm like, hey God, wouldn't it be funny if I faked my death, you know? That'd be hysterical, but I didn't do that. And you know, it's, it's, it's amazing, like, I'm not saying if you take a silent retreat, you'll hear God, but I will say that I learned that if you stop talking and if you find quiet and value it and make room intentionally to spend time with God, you shouldn't be surprised if you do hear from him. Like I, pray, I prayed about each of my kids and my wife and I didn't love everything that God said to me, you know? Like I was praying for Megan and this is, I heard one specific thing about Megan and I really believe it was the Lord because it's not something that I would think. And it was just remember that you are not her first love because the Lord is my wife's first love. And I was like, no, I don't like that. I kind of want to be her first love. You know, I was like, God, give me a word for Megan. I was like, give me something that I can share with her that she'll be like, wow, whoa, and whoa. Like, you know, not, and God was like, hey, just remember that you're not her first love. I'm like, okay. Well, that sounds like something God might say. So I wrote it down. And there were a lot of moments like that. Now, I'm not, again, not saying you should go on a silent retreat because I don't know how many of those there even are. But man, what if you took time every day and it was just quiet, truly quiet? Because we live in a world where we almost never have nothing going on. There's always a podcast playing, a song playing, a conversation happening, a TV that's on, you name it. What if it was just quiet and you're like, God, I'm here. And you talk to him and then you just stop for 10, 20, 30 minutes, an hour. You just stop and listen say, do you have anything you want to say to me? And, and let me ask you this question, because you might be thinking, well, if I did that, 
What if I don't hear anything? Would it be worth doing that every day for 10 years straight? If after 10 years, you heard God speak to you in a way that you've never heard before, would it be worth that? The few times I can say definitively, because we can overuse the phrase, God spoke to me. Sometimes that just means like I had a thought and I think it may have been God. But the few times in my life that God has spoken to me in a way that was undeniable and I knew it was God speaking to my heart, those rocked my world. Those changed the way I saw life. They changed the way I saw myself. And, and I would do anything to hear from the Lord like that. And he's personal, he wants to speak to you. So I'm just saying, treat him personally, make time, pray, talk. Don't just leave him voicemails, listen. I, I like to take long walks and just talk to God as I'm on my walk. I don't know, I'm, I'm like a hyperactive boy. I just don't, sitting still is hard for me. So I just go for a long walk and that's multitasking. I'm losing weight, I'm burning calories, meeting with the Lord, it's awesome. Jesus happened to walk with his disciples for years. So there's even a biblical precedent for that. Like walk with God, literally. Like take walks, pray, look around, like notice, notice nature. Notice the world, notice like, I mean, I was on a walk yesterday and, and I'm not like one of these sensitive types of guys. I'm not saying if you're sensitive, it's bad. Sorry, that sounded really, you know, I'm, I'm masculine, unlike most, that's not what I was saying at all. But I'm just not one of those people that tends to go like, oh, look at how beautiful that is, you know? Um, I just don't notice that stuff. But for some reason, like the clouds and the sun yesterday, it was a really cool moment. And I'm just on a walk with God and it kind of stopped. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And that just moment of stopping, like I, there's a connection with God there. My point is, it can look different. Can I, I'm gonna use a, an example. I have a friend who's an artist, like a really great artist. And when he paints, he talks to God. And he's like, that's me in God's time. His name's Marlon. He paints all the trees that are all throughout our hallways. And so interestingly enough, as you look at those tree paintings, a lot of those tree paintings were like, oh, Marlon spent a long time with God. And as he's talking to God and praying and thinking, he's, he's painting and the results are pretty awesome. The point is you, you can just spend time with God however you spend time with God but do it, treat him personally, he's personal. He's not just holy and powerful, he's personal, so get personal with him. Draw near to him, and remember, he's not distant from you. He never has been, and he never will be, even if you feel like it. And with that said, we're gonna wrap up with, with Lord's Supper. So if you got a cup, go ahead. If you didn't grab one at the, the tables on your way in, that's where you can find them. You're not messing anything up by getting one. It's, it's not like a walk of shame or anything like that at all. So obviously our focus this morning is that God is personal. He is our father. He became a person. His spirit lives inside of us. And it's so interesting that Jesus asks us to take this little meal when we get together. Herb shared about this last Sunday at Easter that this reminds us that we're all invited. We're all invited to the table with Jesus. And that's so true. I often think about this specific verse when we take Lord's Supper together and it's in, it's in Revelation. I think it's Revelation chapter three, verse 20. But Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. And he's actually talking to a group of people who have kind of pushed him away. And he says, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if you'll just open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. That is personal, is it not? 
Like this meal is powerful. It's an amazing symbol of, of the death of Jesus on the cross. The bread is his body, the, the juice is his blood. It's what it represents. We're reminded by the, of the sacrifice he made for us, but we're also reminded of the lengths that he is willing to go to for us to just open the door and let him come in and be our friend and be close with us. And so as we take this, let, let this be a moment of you opening your heart, opening the door and saying, I want a closer walk with you, Jesus. I want a closer relationship. I don't wanna be distant from you. I don't wanna feel distant from you. And I'm tired of, of creating artificial distance like religion has done for years. I want to draw near to you as you so clearly made clear that you want to be close to me. So let's do that together. Let's start with the bread and thank him for it. Father, thank you for this bread. Thank you for what it represents, what it means. Your body broken for us on the cross to pay the ransom, the price for our sin, but also to provide a way for us to have a close relationship with you that we can never have otherwise. We just couldn't. Or we're unencumbered by guilt and shame because we know that it's taken care of. We know that it's paid for. And we can just sit at a table with you and be your friend and be close. Lord, as we take this bread, remind us that you are near to us. That you want to, to eat with us, to have fellowship with us. That's how close you wanna be. And we thank you for that, Lord. Let's take the bread. Let's pray for the juice. Father, thank you for this juice, for what it represents and means. Your blood spilled for us on the cross. You gave everything for us, Lord. And you didn't do this just so we could have a, a belief in you. Lord, people already believed in you when you gave your life. You wanted something more than believers. You wanted friends. You wanted family. And because of what you've done for us on the cross, Jesus, we've, we've been adopted as the sons and the daughters of God the Father. Thank you, Lord. As we, as we take this, Lord, I, I pray that you help each of us understand to whatever degree we're capable that we are yours, that we are close to you, near to you, even if it doesn't feel that way. We are near to you and you are near to us because you've made your home inside of us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the juice. Well, my main prayer and hope this morning is that when we walk out of this place today, we would all remember that God is never far away, that he is never distant, that he is personal. And how amazing is it, by the way, that the powerful, holy God is personal and close with each of us. That's amazing. That's worth celebrating. And uh, yeah, we can clap for that. That's awesome. Never forget it.